the reason that we do what we do every morning, you know, we wake up, we shuffle to our home offices or open our laptops and get to this work. It's not to win market share. It's to help get Democrats elected and progressives elected. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. Gerard Namira has recently taken his product management talents to Political Data Inc., or PDI, a longtime voter data and technology firm in California. Gerard has had an eventful few years since he moved into the progressive political technology space from years at Kiva. At the end of 2017, we spoke on this podcast about his director of product work at the Clinton presidential campaign and his founding of Ground Game, which was building organizing database technology. He brought that tech, then renamed Shadow, into acronym, made some national news around the Iowa caucus, and left Shadow behind. He's landed at PDI, which has recently declared that it will leave behind all its Republican clients and work only on the progressive and Democratic side. We spoke about PDI, its acquisition of Outreach Circle, and the changes afoot in that company. If you follow the progressive political tech space, you should definitely listen. So, after our sponsor, then my interview with Gerard Namira of PDI. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from Timeplots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Timeplots Library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. Well, I appreciate you taking the time today. I'm glad to have a second conversation with you. Yeah, excited to get all caught up on uh, what's gone on since the last time we spoke. Would you mind introducing yourself? You've been on the show before, and so I got some of your early career down, but introduce yourself briefly, and, and then let's catch up with what's been happening since we spoke at the end of 2017. Sure. So my name is Gerard Namira. I'm currently the Vice President of Product for PDI, which is Political Data Inc. You know, I've spent my career kind of at the intersection of social good. Uh, I include political tech in social good. Uh, the intersection of social good and technology. I've worked on national political campaigns. I've worked on tiny, scrappy startups. Uh, worked on bigger companies, kind of, you know, everywhere in between. A lot of experience across the board. Um, where it all kind of comes down for me, though, is on the product management side. I'm a PM by trade, and uh, that's kind of the approach that I take to political tech. So, yeah, uh, since we last spoke, it's been a lot that's happened, but have landed at PDI, and I'm really excited to you know, dig in there and figure out how to help PDI grow. Before we get to PDI, when we talked, you were at, working on something called GroundBase, and you brought that into acronym. Tell me a little bit about that part of your of your career. What what was acronym like, and how did 
what you're working on with tech fit in over there? Yeah, so acronym, you know, they're a 501c4, you know, dedicated to building infrastructure for the progressive movement. Um, I met Tara McGowan, who leads acronym, who's a really special person in this space, really forward thinking about the way that we can use digital and trying to raise the level of campaigns and, you know, the C4 side of the house. I think they spent something like $75 million in this last cycle running pretty interesting um, persuasion operation, voter registration, all kinds of things. So I joined there uh, as the CTO and helped that team set up its infrastructure to essentially deliver all those ads and understand how they were performing. And, you know, we brought ground-based kind of underneath acronym because Tara and I had this kind of resonant idea with each other about the idea of how important it is to invest in infrastructure for our movement. Uh, and that's really what I saw ground base as being as key infrastructure in the way that she saw political ads as being. So we worked pretty pretty well together on those things. Um, but I, I kind of split my time between CTO of Acronym and, and running the startup. And and then what was Shadow? Shadow was what uh, Groundbase became once we moved it into Acronym. So it was essentially the same company. We had a uh, messaging app, peer-to-peer messaging app. We were kind of third in the market behind Hustle and through Talk. So it was kind of hard to fundraise for something that's third in the market. But it was really a, an opinionated piece of software. It kind of came out of the experience that I had had on the Clinton campaign and the tool that we built there called Megaphone, which uh, powered all the texting that we did in 16. It was really field organizer sized. Uh, I think once the political tech market really got a taste of texting and it blew up, it kind of morphed into something different from what we had initially envisioned. So the market for our solution was pretty small. It had its fans, people who still ping me and ask if it exists and they want to use it. But uh, the team that ended up taking over Shadow, um, now called Blue Link, ended up winding that down, which I think was probably the right decision. Yeah, tell me about that. So Shadow ran into that problem with the little project you did in Iowa, uh, made the news a little bit. How did that all go down from your perspective? I think it was pretty pretty well-trod territory, a lot of ink spilled over it. I've always been transparent about my role in that and taking responsibility for me personally and for Shadow. I think the reason that we took that engagement with the Iowa party is because, you know, in my view, we don't do enough as a progressive movement to support state parties. And they're tasked with kind of a an enormous um, an enormous effort, which is to do a caucus, which is kind of like an election, but not exactly all run through a state party, which maybe has at max like 10 employees, whereas normally this is the purview of a state government, right? This kind of thing. So, you know, they wanted some technology to help uh, make that process easier for their volunteers. They had typically relied on calling in the results over the phone. So we built an app to help facilitate that. And we had an issue in um, some of the, the data translation layer that brought that data from our system into the IDP system. I would like to have done a lot of things better in that process. Uh, you know, one of them is, despite the fact that we really wanted to help state parties and be good partners and use the specific knowledge that we had around caucuses to help pull it off, uh, it was probably not the right thing for our company to be doing with the size that we were, with the time that we had, 
and kind of the the scale of the operation that we had in front of us. Um, we did our best, but we just didn't didn't quite make it. So it was unfortunate. I mean, I if I were an organizer working so hard on the you know Iowa caucuses and that happened, I would be sorely disappointed. So um, that's still something that I think about about this whole process is how hard it must have been for folks who had spent you know a year of their life getting to that point only to have it kind of come crashing down. Ultimately, I think you know they were able to recover. You know, we worked hard to, you know, stay in the fight and get the results out. But, you know, post media circus that erupted, I decided it was best to find some new folks to run the operation. Yeah, I talked recently, I don't know if you know, to Irene uh, at Blue Link. Mm -hmm. I didn't know much about Blue Link until it had been mentioned by some other folks at the Biden campaign. And it sounds like they have a pretty good niche that they've gone after. What do you think of this idea of moving data among different progressive technologies? I think it's a hugely important thing to figure out. You know, we lose so much in the kind of data portability layer of our political tech industry and our movement. It's, it's just really hard to move data around the ecosystem unless you're an engineer. And, you know, frankly, if you run a down ballot campaign or you're part of a small nonprofit, typically you don't have the skills to write a bunch of Python scripts to patch together you know, different different political tech stacks and then come out with a picture of what your data is doing that's kind of holistic. So it always felt important to me to have a productized solution that would just do that right out of the box and make it really easy to do. And of course, something that's really high availability. Um, you know, we started doing that on the, the shadow team in 2019. Uh, and then, you know, Irene and Preston joining Blue Link later on, I think they really um, put a lot of wood behind the arrow there, added a lot more integrations, and it feels like a product that's in a pretty good place right now. I think they're they're poised to do some really interesting stuff with it, and I'm, you know, obviously a huge fan and, and wish them a ton of success because it's an important problem to solve. So you spent all that time at Kiva and now a fair amount of time in the progressive political technology space. Why are you still going with that? What is attracting you to this ecosystem in an ongoing basis? I just can't quit it. Um, I, th I think <laughs> the, if you're going to pursue a career in social good, then it's really incumbent upon you when you're doing that to think really deeply about what it is you're doing and why you're doing it. And so the, the point of view that I've always had with it is, you know, what is the, the best lever for me to take, you know, whatever talents, experience, uh, ideas that I have and use them to kind of further my own personal theory of change and try to make the world a better place to live in. Uh, when I came out of college, I started working at, it's actually a national uh, nonprofit called First Book that was in charge of taking books that were about to be destroyed by publishers for a tax write-off and then getting them in the hands of children um, from low-income families and the programs that serve them. Uh, got a really great taste for social enterprise and what that looks like. Moved on to microfinance. And when I had an opportunity to join the Clinton campaign back in 2016, you know, there's there's really no way to have some kind of influence on the world greater than a presidential campaign. The president of the United States and the United States government does things that literally no one else can do. Uh, and I think to me, politics and uh, the progressive political space um, and technology, that's the fulcrum that I can use my talents to turn uh, things on and really create more. So, you know, post-Iowa for me was just about finding what is that thing that's going to help me progress down that path. And, you know, that's why I landed at PDI. I believe that's 
probably the best basis for me to continue this this kind of through line of work in social impact. Tell me a little about PDI. I've been aware that of their existence for a long, long time, but not really familiar with their work and, and their place in the ecosystem other than, you know, it's been a political data voter file company a lot and mostly California based and now recently seems to have made some acquisitions and and raised its ambition. Tell me about like how did you how did you find them or how did they find you and what are they up to? So PDI is um, has been around for 33 years. <laughs> PDI is kind of an elder statesperson uh, in this space. Not a lot of political tech companies that have been around for that long and survived. Uh, it has been around since before there was even a, an idea of political tech. It started out on the Warner Brothers lot in Hollywood, renting spare space on their mainframe to process voter data, uh, if you can believe that. So from that, during the Reagan administration all the way up to today, um, PDI's goal has been to you know, create the best voter file possible, specifically in California. That is you know, the, the bulk of uh, our efforts is around trying to deliver gold standard data. And what I mean by that is you know, trying to have hyper-accurate ethnic and racial modeling, which is a real struggle in, in politics. And uh, frankly, you know, as progressives, something that we need in order to organize the communities that we care about and that really move the needle for us. So we have that, uh, you know, all the way down to figuring out if people are renters or homeowners, kind of this level of granularity that you don't typically get um, with the voter file or, or is hard to do really accurately. The PDI team you know, the average tenure is seven years. <laughs> and there are people who have been there for as long as 25. So these are folks who really care about what they're doing. They're the most hyper-dedicated group, I think, that I've ever met in um, in this space. And, uh, you know, Jeff Buckley, who, who runs our data operation, you know, told me when I was asking him about, you know, the same question, why PDI? You know, he said, we'll stop everything to fix one uh, polling place, you know, and that's a level of care and dedication that is kind of atypical in this space. That's PEI. We do data and we also do software, uh, CRM to access that data, as well as email, canvassing, kind of like all of the typical tools that you would want in order to run voter efforts at scale. We also have a national product called Blue Vote, uh, which is the same thing, but uh, without the California data. We use the uh, Catalyst file outside of California. And uh, we've acquired Outreach Circle recently. Uh, and that's how I came to uh, know Gary. Gary Brown's the CEO of PDI. Um, how I came to know Gary and the PDI team was through Sangeet, who runs Outreach Circle, who I knew from my time at Higher Ground Labs in uh, 2017. Why suddenly making uh, some acquisitions? Did they raise money? What's what's happening within the company to be, you know, if you're around for kind of 33 years in one way, and now you're suddenly in a wing-spreading mode, something's changing. Sure. The world is changing <laughs> pretty fundamentally. I think the world of political tech is changing pretty fundamentally. It's important to think about how different the landscape in political tech is, you know, from when I stepped into it back in 2015 to today. You know, after the you know Hillary campaign and after that really painful loss, we had this Cambrian explosion of new efforts and new ideas. Uh, you know, we have Higher Ground Labs that's active. We have New Media Ventures that's funding things. And so, you know, the landscape has shifted where PDI cannot exist on an island really in California and expect the same results, you know, forever and ever. Uh, it's really important for 
us to continue to modernize our approach. Although, you know, what we do on the data side, I think is really important uh, to maintain the quality. And that is kind of the main thing that PDI wants to do. Uh, I think we also have some software that once you take it outside of California can be used by campaigns all over the country, absent that voter data. Uh, we have our own email servers, for example. You know, we have a pretty robust phone banking tool. We have a dialer that did 90 million calls in the last cycle that you know no one ever heard about. So there are all these kind of hidden gems on the PDI side. And the question is just how can we use these things to help the progressive movement do what it does better, given where we are today? So uh, that's kind of my purview as the, the head of product at PDI is figuring out how we can help this movement, how we can help campaigns, uh, progressive campaigns, Democrats, with the tools that we have and kind of spread our wings past California. And, and you know, I think we're pretty proud of the work that we've done in California over the years. I think you see, uh, not going to take credit for the, uh, the dominance of Democrats in California. I think there's a lot going on there, but certainly PDI is a big piece of the puzzle in helping them be as successful as they are. So we'd like to do that anywhere we can. If you're so attentive to the data in California and successful in that, nationally there's catalyst and there's target smart and you know there's been some attempts from other folks uh that that you're aware of to add to that space will you continue to partner with catalyst on data or will you go your own way and build your own files across the country if you want to you know apply that kind of carefulness elsewhere how long should we expect that relationship to continue or will you open up to others as well? What's the plan there? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, the catalyst relationship with PDI has been a really fruitful one. I think, um, you know, we're certainly happy with it. We don't have any plans to build a voter file outside of California. I think where we can add value, and, and this is something we have to figure out how to productize because the, the California process is very labor intensive, which is what you know ensures that it has the, the level of care and accuracy that our California clients have come to expect. Um, but we're trying to figure out you know, how are ways that we can take, for example, that ethnic and racial modeling and expand that on top of a base file somewhere else. That I think is something that is, you know, a win-win for everybody where you get kind of the PDI magic on top of a file that has this breadth that we just can't achieve given the staff that we have. So I think we're interested in continuing that partnership. We're interested. We've had a few pilots just this year in other places where people are bringing their own file uh, and using it in specific ways. Uh, and so, you know, we're continuing to burnish that part of our product as well. I've been... I think, you know, out of the NGP van world for quite a number of years now, though I, I did found the NGP side. I did hear a number of years ago about an uh, attempt by PDI to partner with Catalyst, compete for the van contract with the DNC. Is that uh, something that you guys are going after, you know, in your new capacity now? Yeah, we don't have any plans to compete for that contract. I think, you know, Van is a pretty core piece of the Democratic Party's political tech infrastructure. I think it would be uh, foolhardy to say we're going to come in and try to compete with Van and knock them off their pedestal and try to replace them. That's not really what we're after at PDI. I think, you know, we have a CRM and they have a CRM. So there's a natural idea that there's like a competitive space here. But I think 
What we're more interested in is figuring out how we can use the tools that we have, the attitude towards data that we have, the people that we have to like mutually enhance. I would rather partner with them than compete with them. I think they're, uh, you know, great um, movement people. I think they have all of the right interests at heart. Um, you know, I know them. A lot of the people there are pretty well from my years in this space and have the utmost respect for them. Um, so, you know, this is not a gear up to go to war. This is more figuring out how the PDI can fill gaps that exist because there are many in this ecosystem. And I think there will continue to be many as the ecosystem churns and changes with the you know changes in the fundraising landscape and other kinds of things. I guess that answer sort of surprises me only because there's so much change, as you've noted, coming to the political tech space. So there's Emma Bloomberg and the Helm product coming, which has also put together a number of acquisitions. I'm not close to that in any way to really know what they're up to, but uh, I've talked to enough people there to see that they're they're putting together kind of a suite of tools. NGP Van is there. There's, you know, you guys seem to be making some acquisitions. It feels like almost a time of things you know, getting shaken up a little bit and different product suites providing options to the progressive community, which, you know, which is not uncommon in software to go through different cycles. I mean, I remember, you know, when Lotus and WordPerfect got together to try to tangle with Microsoft and on the office suite, if you think about different areas of, of tech that are outside of political world, it's it's sort of natural to have suites competing. Talk to me a little bit about how you see the competitive landscape, maybe. The only pushback that I would have on your 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 metaphor with maybe Microsoft and, and Lotus is that I think that the incentive alignment and the market is pretty different here. And not that there's not competition, but that, you know, the reason that we do what we do every morning, you know, we wake up, we shuffle to our home offices or open our laptops and get to this work. Um, it's not to win market share. It's to help get Democrats elected and progressives yeah. elected. Right? That is so quite different. It, yeah. So it's pretty different. And I think it means that um, if we can achieve that by, you know, forming partnerships and alliances with people uh, and other companies in ways that may seem counterintuitive, then I think that we're open to that. If there are people who feel like our products are a better fit for them than other products, then I think we're open to that. I think everybody would be open to that as people who are dedicated first and most to, you know, doing this thing and helping Democrats and progressives win. I think you're seeing a, an increase in consolidation in this space um, by virtue of the fact that there were a lot of things that came out <laughs> after the after the Clinton campaign 2015 and 2016. And, you know, the market, this is not a venture scale market, right? Um, you're not, you're not going to be in a position where, you know, if you make a bet on like the very best um, you know, phone banking tool that, you know, you're going to be able to return your whole portfolio as a VC. The model is just completely different. In some cases, there are really excellent ideas uh, that just don't have the market traction. And I think that we as a progressive space need to figure out how to rehome those ideas or, you know, how to get them in front of people with the right portfolio to be able to support them and the right set of expertise. So that's kind of the lens that we view this through at PDI is what are things like Outreach Circle, which I think is a pretty natural uh, addition to the PDI set of tools. PDI didn't have anything that was strictly 
supporter facing. And that is what Outreach Circle does extremely well. So I think we'll see more of that, um, you know, with the Bloomberg conglomerate that you were speaking about. I think, you know, Van has already done a lot of this with Action Kid and BSD and others. Um, you know, BSD, I think, is a great example of something that, uh, or Action Kid even, where, you know, these are things that will probably make sense to operate under a bigger company and not on their own, um, given the funding landscape. And, you know, we all hope that all of the excitement and funding and injection of capital into this space post-2016 uh, will continue. But I think it remains to be seen whether that will be the case. And we'll just have to see how things go from there. I mean, your long social good history and your partisanship is pretty clear from what you've decided to do over time. But PDI is a little different in that it only recently sort of declared for one side. And I don't know to what extent the the business was, you know, like how much was on the Democratic side and how much was on Republican side. But that seemed like an interesting choice. I mean, I got the note. I don't know what list I'm on, but I got a note saying, you know, hey, we are now going to only serve one side. And is that your influence? What caused that change in public posture and I assume in client choice? Sure. I mean, it was something that the PDI team had been discussing, you know, long before I showed up. You know, this was a pretty clear moment. If there was ever going to be a moment to do it, this was it for a couple of reasons. First, I think it is a pretty clear values alignment with everybody at PDI. Uh, It was something that I think the team had wanted to do for a long time, um, but just didn't quite know how to thread the needle and make it work. You know, the other thing is, you know, we had an insurrection at the Capitol. You know, there are all of these kinds of things that that change the the landscape and make, um, you know, make it a little bit more present in people's minds. And, you know, the other thing is that it's it's pretty clear that if you're going to be in this work and do this political tech work, it's really hard to motivate yourself to do it every day if, you know, some big chunk of your time is working on stuff that you just don't have a values alignment with. So I did not, um, you know, start that, but uh, certainly helped to get it over the line and work with the team to to land it. Felt like maybe one of the most important things that we could do as a company to really, you know, continue to be values aligned. And, you know, PDI, like I said, it's been around since the Reagan administration. The world has changed a lot since then. Yeah. Republicans are far more toxic now, post-Trump, post-Tea Party. It's harder to to do that work without being reminded of <laughs> the changes in the Republican Party, uh, even in California. California is pretty uh, dominant in terms of the Democratic Party. You know, we've got jungle primary in California. You know, I think in the last Senate race, um, I believe there wasn't even a Republican on the on the ballot. California, I think, is a little bit different than the rest of the country when it comes to the Republican Party, but it was still something that felt important for the team to do. And I'm glad that we did it. What, what did you do with your Republican clients? Did you just dump them? Did, is there another company that picks up the pieces there? How do you deal with actual people you've been serving for years and telling them goodbye? Not easy for a company that takes um, customer service as kind of one of its deep core values. We gave the notice that we gave. And the good news for California Republicans is that there are a bunch of companies that are willing to work with them. You know, I360 exists, L2 exists. The California Republican Party has their own um, data infrastructure. So there are plenty of places for them to go. But we didn't negotiate any special deals for them. They just have to um, navigate that on their own. 
I think this is often the case that focusing a company, like Irene did at Blue Link, like you guys are doing by picking a side, it kind of helps the team align on a goal. It helps, you know, clarify what you're really up to and why. Have you found internally positive reaction to that decision or how, how is it? Did you lose people? How did that kind of sort out? We have not lost anyone at PDI. You know, like I said, PDI is a place where people kind of, you know, go to to make their careers uh, very much, you know, the, the word that you hear a lot is family. I see, you know, this and other changes that we've made, like outreach circle acquisition as being part of that focusing or maybe like a doubling down on values. You know, in my experience in working with kind of mission-based organizations, when you're doing things like road mapping, you know, that ladders up to a strategic plan and that strategic plan ladders up to a mission statement, right? It's much easier for a team to rally around a product roadmap and a, a company strategy that has, you know, a mission deeply ingrained in it and as its focus. So I think that has really helped the PDI team and to really, you know, get a, a finer lens on why we're doing the things that we're doing and why it's going to be important to, you know, continue this pace of change, uh, you know, make the software better, continue to innovate on the data side. When you're focused on that mission goal, it makes all that stuff a lot easier. And frankly, it makes it easier to hire folks who are also mission aligned and, and really care about what you're doing. So I think it's an all around positive for, for PDI and, and hopefully for the space. I, I suspect it would be. Um, how big of a company is PDI these days? We're about uh, 25 people. 25 people after this acquisition of Outreach Circle? Yeah. So well, with Outreach Circle, it's a little bit bigger, but the core PDI team is about 25. We have an engineering team, obviously a bunch of people who do the data work to make that happen. You know, it's hard work to take CDs that come from uh, the you know local county office and turn them into useful voter data and maintaining all of those pipelines, a lot of client services and kind of back office stuff. So a pretty small team relative to others of the same scale in the space. Um, but you know these are folks who have been honing these skills for, for decades um, and they're pretty good at what they do. Well, I think YouTube had about 25 people when they sold for a billion dollars. So <laughs> I would never underestimate what you can do with 25 people. That's uh, right. The right 25 people and the right incentives can create some great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where Where's your engineering team located? Most of them are in California. We have some folks who are in uh, Mexico as well. Cool. Tell me about uh, why Outreach Circle. You said a little bit. Sang comes along with that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I saw a title like chief strategy officer for him. And and he's, I'm certain, has learned quite a bit in all of his time with Voter Circle and, and Outreach Circle and is a useful addition. What do you gain beyond a kind of a relational tool and some some folks? Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about the union of PDI and Outreach Circle is that you've got you know PDI, which has been doing what it's doing for you know 30 some years. You have Outreach Circle, which is relatively new in the market. I think it's been around since 2015. So you have uh, you know a blend of you know what I would call like an enterprise and then a more um, agile uh, shop. So it's been fun to to merge those and you know try to figure out you know on the Outreach Circle side where we have these relational tools. 
how can we leverage the data expertise that PDI has to make match rates a lot better on the relational side, for instance. So there's a really great cross-pollination when you think about the kinds of tools that we have and the way that they work together and the way that the teams can can work together to kind of create something that uh, the whole is better than the sum of its parts. Obviously, kind of a missing piece, like I said, in the product portfolio that's um, supporter-facing. And I think it's an interesting blend on the customer side, too, where Outreach Circle has found a lot of traction with labor. Um, and I think it's a model that's really attractive for labor unions, given the way that they do organizing. It would be a great add-on for our labor clients in California, of which there are many. And I think we're trying to figure out like what is the right way now. And as a product leader, this is one of my jobs is to figure out how we can make these things mutually enhancing uh, and continue to... Anything that we bring into the fold ought to be... you know. Uh, adding to a greater whole, which helps campaigns and causes and unions achieve what they need to do. You've mentioned both what's kind of coming out of HGL and New Media Ventures, and you were part of that. And 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 I think you know I've interviewed just about all of the of the entrepreneurs that are working on so many interesting pieces of tech that had a little bit of funding and other support there. Who else are you interested in acquiring, or what's your do you have an M&R strategy as part of this? Are there others in the works? Yeah, we don't have an M&R strategy quite yet. What we're looking to do, you know, this is early days for me as a, a product leader at this company. And so I'm trying to take stock of both what we have in hand with PDI, what we have in hand with Outreach Circle. I think that on the PDI side, we can you know, figure out for our customers where the gaps are and help them make an informed decision on those questions. And, you know, some of those gaps may be filled with acquisitions and some of them may be filled by us doing, you know, product development on our own, which we certainly have the team to be able to do. So that's the way that we think about it, kind of, you know, making sure that we're delivering value for our clients, helping them win in these kind of like big, broad chunks, um, you know, organizing digital, these kinds of areas, product areas, trying to meet the need all at once, as opposed to, you know, forcing them to do things a la carte. From the perspective of other political, progressive political tech entrepreneurs, it is a really good thing to have multiple options now. The Bloomberg operation, yours, NGP Van, uh, Jeremy Smith's company. Who else do you see as possible acquirers of maybe struggling or tech operations with potential but not market share? Yeah, I, I think that you've named them. I think in order to be, unless an organization like the Movement Cooperative would want to do it, I think that's an interesting place um, given, given where they are in the space and um, the way that their members, if there are things that work specifically for their members, then I think if, if I were in leadership there, I'd be looking pretty pretty hard at that. But you know, in order to be, like we were saying before, in in this space, given the difference in motivations of why you're there, I think as an acquirer, you have to you have to think both in terms of you know, is this something that's viable from a business perspective if it comes under our umbrella, but also is this a thing that's going to deliver on you know the other part of our double bottom line in terms of impact? And I think if you are uh, maybe a smaller company that's reaching. And you don't have that overarching theory of change or the ability to scale the idea inside the company, then you may not want to become an acquirer. So I think you have to have a, a kind of a theory of why you are putting these different pieces together and what it is that you're trying to do in this market. And I think you've named kind of the, the big ones that have the, the scale 
and that kind of mindset to be able to do it. Yeah, are there other new players in the team and how does that help? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as part of the uh, outreach circle acquisition, Sangeet Puri came over. Uh, he's our chief strategy officer. You know, he's been great, both from, you know, subject matter expertise in terms of outreach circle itself, but also with his financial background. Um, just another great piece of expertise to have on the team. Uh, Sarah Black as well, who's part of the outreach circle team, you know, has joined and, you know, she has great and deep state party experience, really knows the space well uh, as a really great thought partner for a product manager like me, someone who has frontline experience. It's tremendously valuable. Uh, also, Giselle Hale is our new COO. You know, she founded a tech startup, a political tech startup post Obama 08. You know, she worked in the Silicon Valley office in 08. Uh, she's the vice mayor of Redwood City, had spent I think eight years at Facebook in product marketing capacity. So she's got a great marketing brain, got a great ops brain, uh, and she's an elected. So she brings that point of view. <laughs> and she was a PDI user. She uses PDI in order to, you know, win her races. So, you know, a lot of great expertise. Chris Goddard, um, who just came from the D trip, um, you know, he was leading the kind of data integration efforts at the D trip. So he's been a really valuable thought partner about how. PDI can get closer to the Democratic Party data ecosystem, which is new for PDI, but something that definitely we want to lean into and be as helpful there as possible. So I think we've got a really great team. Uh, I'm really excited about being part of it. I feel very lucky to have these folks at our side as we go, as well as the people who have been at PDI for 30 plus years and have this like really deep well of expertise. And you know, the union of those two things is really, it's a really terrific combo. Uh, and I think it'll be really fun um, to bring some new stuff to market and continue to improve our current products with the with these folks. What is your tech stack? What What is this built on? The good news is the PDI team has approached its software, which I think the CRM at this point is about 15 years old, um, with about as much care uh, and kindness as you possibly can. Uh, code quality is very good. Reliability is very good. Um, but it's .NET. Pretty similar stack to what NGP Van has, I believe. And then, you know, there are a host of other kinds of applications, like our online phone bank is written in Ember. You know, we have a member portal that we developed for the California Democratic Party. Um, I believe that's a view app. You know, so we have some a mix of some new stuff, some old stuff. Just like if you book an airline ticket on United.com right now, you're using Sabre, right? And Sabre is probably, you know from like the 60s, <laughs> I think it's a really old system. But you don't want to change that system out if it's working well, and it has like high availability, high reliability. And, you know, that's kind of the approach that we take on the PDI side, where if you have this really high functioning system, it's doing the job that it needs to do at the scale that it needs to do it, then the technology choice is more about making sure you ensure that stability over time rather than chasing the new JavaScript flavor of the week. I noticed on your website that you partner with IS Political on the compliance side, and I wondered, you know, given that they're a bipartisan firm, what your plans were with them. I, you know, go back with their founder, Ben Katz, or one of their founders, who had a competing product back in the 90s um, and is back at it. What's the state of that partnership and how does that fit in? You know, given the Republican divestiture, that's one of the things that we're working through right now um, with Ben and with the team. I think you can expect in the coming weeks and months that it'll look a little bit different on our side, uh, but we're just working through the details of that right now. You know, it has been important for our California clients to have compliance solution that works really well for them in California, and that's the value that they've been getting out of ISP. Uh, I think we want to 
figure out how to continue to deliver them that value. But, um, you know, we have to make some changes due to the, um, our new stance on partisanship. So you have now a long experience as a product manager, a really interesting and key role in any software company. I'm wondering how you think about the great breadth of product that is kind of looked for in the political tech world now, depending on kind of what level, you know, obviously a presidential campaign and a mayor's campaign are very different in what they need. But tell me about how you're going about thinking about what to put in, what to build, you know, how to extend and improve what you're delivering. A product manager's job, right, is to, you know, figure out if we are delivering value in our product for our users, right? It's kind of like a user first and market first. And I think the the question that we always have to ask ourselves in this space are, you know, our users are organizers, they're fundraisers, they're volunteers. Are we delivering value for them as the world changes? And the world has changed a lot. <laughs> Even in this last year, campaigning has changed a lot. And I think, you know, from a, a product vision perspective, I really want PDI to be kind of bleeding edge when it comes to investing in the kind of innovation that we're seeing while protecting the core things that have always worked. And that's a difficult uh, needle to thread because new things happen all the time. Some things are just fads and don't stay with us. For instance, you know, uh, if we had invested really heavily in peer-to-peer texting uh, and now regulatory changes are coming down the pike that are kind of shrinking the window on that, that's a tough thing as a company. Uh, it's also a tough thing as organizers. But I think there are things that are innovations in this space that are here to stay. For instance, the way that the Ossoff campaign and the Georgia runoffs invested in paid relational organizing is something that I think is going to be with us for a long time is a real, really compelling success story. And I think the way that a CRM like ours can help support that kind of relational organizing by making it part of everything that happens and infusing it inside all of the activity is something that you can only do if you have both the last mile tools like Outreach Circle and the core CRM, which is you know the world that everything revolves around in because that's where the data lives. So if we have that position in the space, then we can kind of globally optimize using these really interesting things that are happening and try to make sure the pace of innovation stays really fast. It does go back to what you were saying about kind of technology. It means that we have to do things like invest in making it really easy to build, you know, new ideas really quickly. You know, when I was on the Clinton campaign, uh, I think we built something like 120 products in, you know, 16 months. And we were able to do that because, you know, we had partnered with the groundwork and, you know, we had done a bunch of work in front end operations that allowed us to get from idea to working software in two days. And it helps when you work seven day weeks, um, <laughs> obviously, yeah, yeah. And, you have, and you have smart people, but I think you can put yourself in a position of, of success when it comes to these kinds of things by being smart about the investments you're making and enabling really quick prototyping and investing in things that are working uh, and kind of, you know, uh, shrinking your investment in things that aren't working. So I think PDI has a great basis on which to, to do that. And I'm excited about continuing to do that into the future. When I'm thinking about political campaigns, sometimes I think about sort of the front runner versus the insurgent. Like if you're talking about Mayor Pete versus Joe Biden, or, you know, we've had many different versions of that. And I think there's something very exciting about being with the insurgent. 
right? Especially the one that takes off and gets a chance at it. But yet there's great advantages to being the the incumbent or the front runner. I think it's a little bit similar in software. One of the interesting things about what you're describing makes me think that PDI has a very interesting combination of being both, right? Of like areas where you're the insurgent and you know there's a big market and you're not that much in it and you have a lot of room to grow and and it's new and it's exciting and then there's areas where you're kind of the incumbent and you have this profitable base and and you have those advantages there do you think about it that way at all i think that's exactly right and it's one of the things that was so exciting to me about joining pdi was the exactly the dynamic that you just described you know when we think about making product investments, uh, a framework that I've used before. And I think this is like an old, um, like Harvard business school thing. I did not go to Harvard business school, by the way, um, is a 70, 20, 10 investment, right? So 70% of the work that you're doing is on the core business. The thing that works really well, that pays everybody's paycheck, 20% on adjacencies, and then 10% on kind of what we would classify as R and D. You know, when I think about that in a PDI context, you know, we have our California business, we have our core data and CRM, that takes up about 70% of our space um, and our roadmap. 20% of things, you know, outreach circle integrations, maybe new APIs, taking what we have now and extending it out a little bit further. And 10% on kind of what are the wild bets that we want to make that are kind of interesting things we're seeing in the space where given our, our basis that we're starting on, we can have a disproportionate impact, both electorally and in helping to grow the organization. So it helps have a framework like that. But it's, it's a pretty rare and special thing as a product manager to be able to do that. Usually, um, you're at a company that's either trying to really protect what it's got at all costs, or you're at a startup and you have to like hyper-focus on one problem and one problem alone, uh, like you said, to maintain that level of focus in order to execute on it really well. So it's a fun and different challenge as a product manager and, and one that I feel really privileged to be able to do. What else would you want people to know about PDI that they might not know from just a uh, reputation that might be out of date. What should we know about the, the new PDI? I think there are some really core pieces of the PDI culture that are important to understand, like how PDI works with campaigns. And it's more of a partnership model than I think I've seen anywhere else. And there's this dedication to service that I think is really, really remarkable. And you just don't see it in other places. You can expect that, you know, if you sign up to use a PDI product that, you know, will go to any lengths to make sure that you know how to use that product, that you know how to use it well, that when you run into an issue, you're going to be supported, that if you need a specific piece of data that you don't have, that we'll figure out a way to get it to you. Uh, if you have a file that you want brought in and you want it to be matched against the voter file that we have, then we're going to do that manually for you. And we're going to check it and double check it to make sure that it works. It's a dedication to service and I think a, a thoughtful approach that is kind of the special sauce with PDI. I think the data obviously is great. I believe in our software. Um, but if the thing that we can scale is our approach to working with our clients and our customers, then I think that will be super duper successful. And I think the movement will be all the better for it. So uh, that's the thing that I think is rare and special. And I want to make sure that we can grow without compromising. What's the ownership like of PDI? I have no idea who owns it or what they want out of it. 
Yeah, Gary Brown, the CEO, is the majority owner. Gary, in a world where most things like PDI would kind of like die on the vine, uh, given the way that the competitive landscape is, you know, he shepherded it through, really grown the California business, invested heavily in it, given us a great basis upon which to grow. And, you know, it was his idea to get Outreach Circle in the mix. It was his idea to bring me in, to bring Giselle in, to bring new folks in to help grow the business. And I think, you know, ultimately he was the one who um, pushed the button on Republican divestiture. So I think, you know, all of the values driven stuff that I was just saying that that comes from Gary and being able to expand that impact. So um, he's a great guy. I think if you, you know, talk to people in the space about him, you'll hear the same stories pretty consistently about, um, you know, him wanting to lean in and, you know, it, as a leader, I can tell you it's hard to keep people on your team for 20 years. <laughs> it's not normal. Uh, and so uh, something about that is really working. He's created a, a place that people both want to work uh, and also can see themselves doing that for a long time while also having the impact. So uh, it's a pretty great thing. Is there a question that I should have asked that I failed to? I think you nailed it. I think you got all the corners, uh, Nathaniel. So thanks. I appreciate you taking the time and I hope we can stay in touch. That was Gerard Namira. He's at politicaldata.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.